House come to order if members can take their seats. This budget is a huge job maker, and the number one solution to economic insecurity is a job. Hungry children can't learn, and it's our responsibility to try to help. Equality and opportunity. I believe most people are here because they want to do some good. Welcome to Capital Ideas for 2021. If you're new here, we've been saying since 2009 that this is the podcast where members of the Majority Democratic Caucus and the Washington State House of Representatives sit down at the Capitol and talk about ideas. Unfortunately, the pandemic requires one change to that introduction. Those lawmakers are going to sit down at the virtual Capitol to talk about their great ideas. The lawmaker today is Representative Alex Rammel, and the great idea he's here to talk about is the Healthy Homes and Clean Buildings Act. We'll get to that in a minute, but first this. Alex Rammel works for the people of the 40th Legislative District. That's all of San Juan County and parts of Skagit and Whatcom counties. He was appointed to fill a vacancy in 2020, and he got here through the regular route this time around. He's an environmentalist to his core and serves on the House Energy and Environment Committee, as well as the Finance and Transportation Panels. Alex is Deputy Whip for the House Democrats, and we talked on Monday, February 8th. You can hear it now. Welcome to Capital Ideas, Representative Alex Rammel of the 40th District. It's good to have you on here for the very first time. It's exciting to be here, Dan. I I probably listen to a podcast every day of my life, uh, but this is the first time I've ever been invited on one, so thanks for the invitation. It won't be the last, I'm sure. There's a lot going on in your portfolio. And one of the things that I want to talk to you about today, and I know that you want to talk about, and that is House Bill 1084, also known as the Healthy Homes and Clean Buildings Act. Obviously, this involves healthy homes. It involves clean buildings, but I don't know what that means. So can you give us sort of a, an elevator speech version of, of what this bill will accomplish? The Healthy Homes Clean Buildings Act is a comprehensive approach to decarbonizing buildings in Washington state. And so I tend to think about that in terms of standards we need to set, investments we need to make, and the way that we can do it with justice. So when you say decarbonization of buildings, Go into a little more detail, if you will, about what that means. I understand that cars, particularly older cars, spit out a lot of carbon. We know that uh, airplanes spit out a lot of carbon. But what is the situation with buildings? What kind of carbon do they contribute to our atmosphere? About a quarter of the greenhouse gas pollution in Washington state comes from our buildings. And it's the only sector that's still growing. And it's one of the most challenging sectors to deal with. And really what that is, is from burning gas, mostly what the industry would call natural gas. I would point out is fossil fuel gas and a little bit of propane. Burning that mostly for space heat. Uh, A little bit of that is for heating our uh, hot water and a little bit is for appliances. But the biggest pieces are space and water heat. And the good news is that we can do that cleanly and efficiently with electric heat pumps. We don't need new technology to solve this problem. We just need the political will. I think the first question that anybody is going to ask about this is, well, what would this cost me versus what kind of gains could I experience by having by doing this? So let's say this bill passes as it's written. How will this affect a homeowner here in Washington State? 
So I, I tend to think about the, the costs um, in terms of new construction and existing buildings. And it's, it's a little bit different equation in, in both cases, right? From a new construction standpoint, the good news is that it doesn't cost anything new to build right, to build cleanly with all electric. Um, in fact, there's, there's research from Rocky Mountain Institute that, that shows that once you factor in the, the lower cost of high efficient electric equipment, it actually saves the building owner money over the first decade. So there, there's, um, there's plenty of evidence that uh, this is a good step to take um, if we weren't worried about climate change at all. Given that we are worried about climate change, it's, it's almost a no-brainer. For existing buildings, it, it's more challenging. Once you've got a system hooked up, it will be more complicated. And that's why this bill envisions a 30-year transition. Our intention isn't to ban gas immediately or, or whatever else you, you may have heard. The intention here is to set up a systematic, organized approach so that we can steadily work on this problem. For most people, we've got a maintenance budget for our home, and we anticipate that at some point in the next couple of decades, we are going to have to replace most of our appliances. And when you reach that replacement point, um, right now, if you go to replace uh, appliances, you probably get told about efficient equipment that the utility will subsidize. Under this plan, they will be encouraging you and making those subsidies for efficient electric equipment. That's the goal. It really will have minimal impact immediately and small impacts steadily over time that will fit into most people's budgets. There is also the fact that there are folks who don't have a maintenance budget and, and who aren't ready to take on additional costs. And this bill also plans for those folks. Low-income families are already struggling and Washington State has a great low-income weatherization program. It helps people insulate their houses, seal up those leaks, and, and make their homes more efficient. We need to scale that up, and we need to couple that with electrification. That's the best time to uh, electrify a building is once you've made it as uh, efficient and um, prevented all of those leaks. Um, so coupling those two things and scaling it up is a way that we can add justice uh, to the implications for this building. Well, that takes care of new homes and also existing homes. How about new commercial buildings? Is this something that you've talked to people in that industry and, and uh, have a pretty good idea that this is going to be affordable and also acceptable? Yes. It's a little bit harder to give a consistent example because commercial buildings are very different from each other in a way that homes aren't necessarily. But I can tell you, having talked with folks in the school district here, they were reluctant to explore whether an electric heating system was a good uh, alternative. And once we got them to go get a bid and take a look at a heat pump system, they realized that it was going to save them money over time, that it was a good choice. And so I, I think this is a point where the technology is there. Again, we just need to get the information and the political well together. You were talking about impacts a minute ago, particularly the impact on a family budget. Turn it around and look at the impact that this policy would make on the amount of carbon that we spit out every year. In other words, what difference will this bill make? Is that a fair question? Yeah. This is a bill that has a big scope um, and has a big impact. About a quarter of the state's greenhouse gas pollution is coming from buildings. And this sets us on a path over the next 30 years to hit 
all of our greenhouse gas reduction targets for this sector. This is a quarter of our greenhouse gas pollution that we can solve if we take this seriously and move in this direction. This is big. This is important. And, and more importantly, we don't have a path to decarbonizing, to meeting our climate goals, to doing what the scientists tell us, to doing what students who are climate strikers have come to my office and asked me to do. We don't have a path to meeting any of our climate goals that doesn't include decarbonizing the building sector. This creates the path to do that. You can tell a whole lot about a bill by who is against it. And I know that this is certainly not a bill that everybody's just called you up and said, Alex, we love this. Tell me about who you're getting pushback from and maybe to take that a step farther, what are you doing to bring those people around? It's a great question. I've tended to think about the folks who have concerns with this bill in sort of three categories. The first is the gas utilities themselves. They're making money on the status quo. They have a natural monopoly and they're able to sell fracked gas to people in Washington state and make money doing that. And those customers can't move away from it. That's a good business model, except that it also relates to the carbon pollution that we've been talking about. And so this bill is to ask them to develop a plan to decarbonize their systems. That includes a lot of electrification. It probably also includes, by the way, a lot of renewable gas, maximizing that resource. And if we're able to develop it, we can include what they call synthetic gas and um, green hydrogen, which are also great alternatives. But we need to get to the standards that the scientists have told us we have to meet, the international treaty obligations that our country has, has signed on to. In order to be able to do that, we need the gas companies to develop those transitions. So they're, they're nervous about what that means. I understand that. And we're going to keep talking about how we can make that work. The second group that we get some pushback from is the builders. I think this is actually the Building Industry Association and some of their allies. I think this is actually something where we can find some common ground. Their concern is, I believe at its core, that we're asking new construction to be done differently than it has been. And they have a business model right now that makes money doing things the way they've been doing it. And uncertainty is a new calculation in an equation that's that's difficult. And so um, I think there's good answers to that, but um, they have concerns. And then I'd say the third group in this equation that's that's a little bit concerned is folks in the building trades. People who make their living building homes, doing work on our buildings, some of them have a trade certification that allows them to put in gas pipes. And if we're putting in less gas pipes or no gas pipes, I can see why they're concerned. For those folks, I really want to make it clear that our intention is to create a plan that adds predictability. We set this up so that it's a 30-year plan so folks can see what the future is. And if you're 63 years old and looking forward to retirement, you can anticipate that there's going to be steady work in your industry for the next few years. If you're 20 years old, I wouldn't anticipate there's going to be as much work in laying gas pipe 30 years from now. So we want to encourage people to start planning for that kind of future. By the way, the other thing that's really important here is we're actually going to create a lot more work in the building industry. As I mentioned, the retrofitting of um, many 
homes and buildings is going to be a lot of work for a lot of people. Is that a one-to-one -one match of the people who have certifications for putting in gas? They're not electricians, so they won't necessarily get that work. So we need to make sure that we're lining things up so that there's something for everyone. But there's a lot of new work to be done here. And I'm committed to making sure that that work is good work, availing wages with career opportunities and apprenticeship programs. It should be pointed out that Washington State over the last several years has developed some pretty well-respected apprenticeship programs and other sorts of avenues for people to learn a trade, to learn a new trade, to get a good union job that uh, really does pay well and can support a family. Yeah, there, there has been a ton of talk in the news in the last week or so about whether we can afford to pay good wages, living wages, $15 minimum wage, or certainly whether we can afford to pay union wages. And to me, it's really a question of whether we can afford not to, especially when we're talking about work that's happening in people's homes with important safety considerations around electricity. We want this work to be done by people who are trained and who are going to be careful and who care about their jobs and who are going to do good work because they know how valuable it is and they know that we value that work that they're doing. When a big bill like this is coming out of the legislature, part of what we hear is someone will say, well, this is going to make Washington State a leader in the United States or a leader around the world. Have you surveyed what's going on in other states? Where, where will this put us if we pass, as it's written today, the, the Healthy Homes and Clean Buildings Act, and then follow it to the letter? Where would this put us in terms of the other 49 states? This would push, put Washington state in a leadership position in terms of tackling this challenge, which is one of the most difficult challenges as we look at how are we going to uh, solve the climate crisis. We've done a good job with cleaning up our electricity supply. We have, I think, a path. It's not all the way laid out, but we have a good path to clean up our transportation systems. And other states have done that as well. But buildings is complicated. It's tough. It requires a lot of thinking about old buildings, different kinds of construction. And it's done over a large space with a lot of people, right? And so it, it's just a complicated sector. And, and I haven't seen anything from other states that approaches this level of comprehensiveness. Climate change and ways to mitigate climate change have been on the top of the legislature's to-do list for many years. Something that has been there, but not quite so apparent as it is this year, is the question of equity in the bills that the legislature prepares and passes, making sure that underserved communities are not somehow being put behind the eight ball every time we pass a new law. I know you've thought about this because I know you. Tell me a little bit about how equity is going to factor into how this bill plays out and also once it becomes a law. Well, thanks, thanks Dan. I, that's, that's an important question. And, and frankly, it's one that we gotta be asking about everything we do around here. Right. And I think that's a practice that we're all trying to pick up on and, and appreciate the question and the chance to respond. I, I guess I would say that the first thing is that we know that the impacts of climate change are going to be felt first and worst by the most vulnerable folks, the poorest, disproportionately people of color, disproportionately people in developing countries. And so everything that we do to limit the impacts of climate change now is an important step 
And, and I guess I would also say that this bill contemplates equity in a couple of other important ways. So as I mentioned, this is an opportunity to be creating a lot of work. And when we're creating work, we wanted those to be good jobs. And we want those to be um, jobs that have career paths and prevailing wages. And, and we want to make sure that they're accessible uh, to people who maybe haven't always had a clear path into uh, those workplaces. And so the, the bill creates an inclusion plan that's required to make sure that we're, that we're doing that correctly. We also want to make sure that the subcontractors and the contractors who will be doing a lot of this work, those opportunities are available to women and minority-owned businesses. And so we're working with the state's office of women and minority-owned businesses to make sure that we have the pieces in place so that those bids are accessible, so that everyone's got a, a fair shot there. And then, and then the, the other important question here is, as we're transitioning, as, as we're looking at how we heat homes, to me, it's really important that we're reducing the energy costs that, that people experience for the folks for whom those energy costs are most challenging, our, our low-income friends and neighbors. And so steeply ramping up the weatherization program and making sure that we have services that meet the need in Washington and adding electrification so that those folks can have the benefits of cleaner air uh, inside their homes alongside lower energy bills. That's an important piece of the program. And then the last piece I would say is that if we're not systematic about this transition, what we will see is stranded assets in our gas utilities. And stranded assets mean that the people who haven't been able to pay to upgrade their homes will have to pay higher rates because they're the only ones left still using that resource. That's not fair, and we need to make sure and prevent that, and that's why we need a long-term planning process to avoid that challenge. So all of those are pieces of this bill um, because, as you said, equity has got to be part of everything that we're doing. Alex Rammel, it's been a while here that we've been talking, and I know that you've got three or four other things on your plate. It's Friday, but your work week is not over with. Let me find out now before we shut this off if there are any significant points that you would like to make sure that people get to hear. I would just wrap up by saying that we spent most of the last year uh, working with stakeholders and um, folks around Washington with expertise in the energy industry, construction, et cetera, to create Washington State's 2020 energy strategy. Um, it had input from all over the state and all kinds of expertise. This bill is an outgrowth of that strategy. We know what we need to do to meet our climate targets, to meet our clean energy targets, to maintain electric reliability, make sure our energy sources are affordable and clean. We know how to do it. We don't need new technology. We don't need magic. We just need political will. And so uh, I'm excited to, to be able to carry this idea forward. As, as we're recording this, I'm anticipating that next week we'll be voting on this in committee in the House. And I'm, I'm looking forward to continued discussions with my colleagues and everybody that this will impact um, and make sure that we get the details right and take this important step forward. Thanks. I wish you the best, and I also want to say once again, thank you for joining us on Capital Ideas. 
you're the guest on the lead off capital ideas for the 2021 session. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Dan. I didn't even realize I'd gotten that honor. Thank you so much. That was Representative Alex Rammel, and I hope you feel like you got something worthwhile out of the last few minutes. I hope also that you'll subscribe to Capital Ideas wherever fine podcasts are available. This is your state government, and what happens here matters. The more you know about how it works, the better it can work for you and for everyone. I'm Dan Frizzell for the Washington State House Democrats, putting people first since 1889. Thanks for listening.